Let me invite you to turn to the 29th chapter of Genesis. It appears that once more I have left my, uh, my notes in my office. So there may be a slight delay, but we can certainly read while, uh, while those, are, those are given. We'll read verse 1 all the way through verse, verse 14. We saw last week how Jacob <clears throat> met with God at Bethel. He had a dream. He dreamed a dream. The right ladder, a staircase, really. He saw God. God came to him. God blessed him. And then Jacob consecrated his life. He said, look, I'm going to be with you. You're going to be my God. He set up a big stone, a big pillar. The stone he had used for a pillow, he put up as a huge pillar. Well, now we're going to see what he actually does with his life. <laughs> Next week, we're going to get to the fun part with uh, Laban and Rachel and Leah. But today, we're going to see Jacob interact with uh, three, three different types of people. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 14. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in a field, and look, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we're from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it's well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Jacob said, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we can't until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you're my bone and my flesh. He stayed with him a month. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and join ourselves together in prayer for the benefit of the preaching of the word, for your minds and my mind, that my mind will not wander down any rabbit trails and your heart won't wander down any either. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you that you bless us, that you give us encouragement. We don't even see it. A thousand ways. You are with us. Lord, help us to not deny that, ignore that, dismiss you. Strengthen us by your stone that you set up in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So Jacob, Jacob's on a path. He's on a tra- he's traveling down. He's traveling east. His mom said, hey, just take a few days, like a couple of weeks, go off. He has no idea. It will be 20 years. He will never see his mom again. But he's in a great spot, right? He's just gotten the blessing from Esau. He's, he's heard with God at Bethel. He said, I'm going to give you a tithe. I'm going to give you a tenth of my money. I'm going to do everything for you, God. Oh, great. Okay, cool. So let's see what happens, right? We have three stones. We have three conversations. The rest of the text today tells us about three conversations that Jacob has. And as we look at these conversations, we'll see his encounter with these stones. At first, he meets this group of shepherds. You'll see there, verse 2, he comes to the land of the people of the east. He meets three flocks of sheep. He meets shepherds. We're told in verse 7, it's actually a weird time. It's like noontime. It's, it's the, the hot time of the day. And sheep didn't come in the, to the well until the evening. You don't water your sheep when it's hot. You water it when it's not hot. It's a good principle to follow. But these shepherds were there early. We're not sure why. Maybe they're lazy, as Jacob says. They're just waiting around. Maybe they want to be first in line for the water. But he comes to this well. And I'll give you a few details about the well. It'll probably be helpful. The, the well we're talking about here in the, in the ancient world uh, was, was a, a kind of a cistern, and you have a huge, circular, heavy, flat stone on top. It was designed to keep out the bugs, keep out the dust. I think uh, Alexis and I went over to uh, what is it, Victory Park over in, in, uh, in the area, in Henry County, and we toured some of the old wells that were there from the old, uh, what is it, 19th century uh, construction, and they have these kind of things on top of them. They've been covered over, you know, same sort of deal. A huge, flat, circular stone, but in the middle of it, there was a hole. In the middle of this huge stone, there was a big hole, and it was covered by a large, heavy boulder. Why? Well, the flat stone was designed to keep out the bugs and the dust. That's sanitary. But the big stone in the middle, the heavy stone in the center, was a security measure. Because ordinarily, no one guy can come out there and pick up the huge stone and steal the water. I mean, water's life in the Middle East. Water's life. If you can't water your flocks, well, you'll lose all your money. They didn't have savings accounts. They had flocks and land. If you can't water either of those, you've lost all your cash. You've lost all your income. So you needed a lot of guys to come, a lot of shepherds to come, or or people to come and move it. Women will come out there too, so you have strong women come and move the stone as well. It was designed that everybody could come and get their fair share of the water, and nobody would think, nobody would feel too much. So the shepherds are waiting for the rest to show up here, and Jacob talks to them, verse 4. He says, My brothers, where do you come from? Surprise, surprise. They come from Haran. That may not mean much to you, but if you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, it meant a lot to Jacob because Haran is the exact place he wants to be. Haran is the place where his granddad Abraham sent his servant to find Isaac's wife. Haran is the perfect place. It's where his mom told him to go. In fact, if you look back in chapter 27, verse 43, Rebecca tells Jacob, Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while, for just a while. That's it, just a little bit of time. Well, he's here. He's made it. Ah, what a wonderful happenstance. And then, verse 5, do you know Laban? Do you know this guy Laban? 
My uncle, surprise, surprise, they know him. So not only is he in the right city, he's the people who know the right guy. That's great. You see, God brings Jacob to the very place and the very people who can direct him to blessing. He provides, if you will, this stone of blessing. Second conversation, Rachel. Suddenly, verse six, the shepherds say, hey, guess what? Laban's daughter, Rachel, she's here. She, there she is. She's going to the sheep. Again, it wasn't unusual. Women will often bring their sheep to the, to the well. They water the, animal, the animals. But it's the specific girl that's so incredible. Out of all the women that could possibly come there, out of all the people, it just so happens to be Rachel. Verse 10 tells us the daughter of Laban, Rebekah's brother, Jacob's cousin. Isaac had told Jacob, get a wife from the daughters of Laban. Rebekah had told Jacob, go there. And the first one he sees is the perfect one. You see here that God is clearly leading Jacob. A signal here of divine providence. God's directing Jacob. He's protecting Jacob. He's providing for Jacob. And yet, what does Jacob do? What does Jacob do? Verse 10. As soon as he sees Rachel, he comes near. He takes this huge stone that... It would ordinarily take many guys, and he superhumanly lifts it out like a big superman. He rolls the stone away, and he waters the flock of Laban. You know, notice, by the way, he only waters her flock. That's interesting. We'll get that in mind. But it's amazing. He goes up like a big shot, and he rolls the huge boulder away from the center of the well. It's a feat of huge strength. Jacob does it. He sees his relative, his cousin. He's overcome with emotion. He kisses her. He'll kiss Laban, by the way. Don't read anything romantic into that. It's, Middle, it's common in the Middle East. You kiss people, your family, you show affection. He's overcome. He's, he's an emotional guy. He's a passionate guy. And she runs and she tells her father. Then the last interview here, right? Laban. Verse 13. Verse 14. Jacob, unlike a previous encounter with Laban. He's bringing nothing, no gold, no presents. Remember years earlier, Abraham's servant had seen Laban in the exact spot here. He had brought earrings, he had brought gifts, he had brought gold. Jacob has brought one thing, however, his strength, himself. He can move the huge stone away. Jacob has shown Laban, you can be a good worker bee. You can be a really valuable laborer. You're a man of action. So Jacob says, verse 14, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, your family. And we read that he stayed with him a month. I mean, you read put this together. Do you see how God is providing for Jacob? God providing this stone of providence. He is in the right place. He's met the pretty cousin. He's been given a home. He's been given a job in the family business. He is doing exactly what Rebecca, his mom, and Isaac, his dad, wanted him to do. And guess what? In just a few weeks, he'll marry Rachel. He can go back home to Rebecca. Beautiful new bride. I'm sure Esau will, you know, forgotten all about it. It's perfect, right? This is ideal. This is great. But underneath the surface, friends, we begin to see that not is quite so promising. Not all is quite so promising as it seems. Jacob will face 20 years of heartache. 
frustration and toil. Things are about to go dreadfully wrong. It's a picture of a man who has everything provided for him. He's just walking along, humming the tune, smile on his face. He's jaunty. He's just trucking along, and he's about to slip on a huge banana peel. Why? Well, the key, friends, is that we have to look at this story in parallel with the previous story. The key is the astonishing parallel and the astonishing difference with the other journey to the east we've already seen, the other journey to this well, the other journey to Laban. I've already mentioned it. It's Genesis 24. It's Abraham's chief servant. He goes to find a wife for Isaac. And then we have Jacob. And those stories are deliberately set together. Moses is not a dummy. Moses was trained in Egypt. Moses knew how to write well. And he puts these stories together. It's a sophisticated literary device designed to catch your attention. An unmarried man goes to a distant land to get a bride. Both cases, they stop at a well. Both cases, a girl comes out to draw water. Both cases, she's a cousin of the groom. Both cases, she goes home to tell her dad. Both cases, there's a marriage. Why are they put in parallel like this? 24 and 29. They're put in parallel to see the differences. They're put in parallel to see the differences. They feel similar, but there's one outstanding difference that shows the the whole point. What is it? The key difference, friends, in all the 14 verses that I read, Where's God? Do you see him there? Ever have God show up in the story? Never. And yet, if you look back at chapter 24, Abraham's servant, he's always conscious of God all the time. He engages in earnest, passionate prayer at the start of the journey. He engages in earnest, passionate prayer right before he gets to the well. He kneels down outside the well. He says, verse 12, Genesis 24, 12, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Please show steadfast love to my master Abraham. And then what does the servant do in chapter 24? He says, I don't just want a hot gal. I want someone who's godly. I want a character, a gal of character. So what does he do? He says, all right, let me give a test. I'm going to be a wise guy and set up a smart test. Let her water my camels and me. She'll need to be generous. She'll need to be kind. She'll need to be hardworking. And he meets Rebecca. She does all of that. She's godly. And then he prays again. He gives thanks to God for his kind providence. He begins and ends with prayer and worship and thanksgiving to Jacob, to God. And now we come to Jacob. Then we get Jacob. What does Jacob do? Stark absence. No God. Nowhere. No how. Just after the great pillar of the stone of Bethel, just after the great encounter with God, What happens? Nothing. There's not one word of prayer. The Almighty is never mentioned. There's no reference of Jacob seeking God's guidance. There's no sense that he is directed by God. How and what does Jacob act on? He acts on what he sees purely. He sees Rachel as beautiful. She's really attractive. He moves to action. What does he do? Like many young guys, he wants to impress her with his his pecs. He wants to impress her with a feat of strength. I remember when I was a teenager, at church. And we always met and there were always folding chairs. What did you do as a young teenage boy after the service was over? What did you do? You competed with all the other boys to see how many folding chairs you could carry in your arms. I was weak. I could only get four, maybe six on occasion. There were some guys there who can get 10, right? The competition's always over how many folding chairs you could put up and carry. 
And for Jacob, he can get 10. He can get a lot more than 10, I guarantee you. He can pull that stone out of the middle of the well. Why? He doesn't care what kind of woman she is. You'll notice he does no, he doesn't, he's not wise at all. He doesn't say, is she going to be the kind of woman who will care for me? Is she going to be someone who works hard? Is she going to be kind? Is she generous? He cares, zip about those things. All he cares is, I want to impress her. She's attractive. It's a purely physical relationship. It's a purely emotional attachment. It's not that deep. And after the whole thing is done, after he meets Laban, after he realizes that this is the perfect spot, this is the exact place, there is no acknowledgement of thanks given to God. He's left out. What's the great difference? There's no God. What's the great difference? Prayerlessness. God provides all of this, and yet Jacob responds in prayerlessness. It's clear, friends, that Jacob has not yet learned his lesson. Do you see that you can have a great spiritual experience at Bethel? You can have a great Christian, godly, spiritual experience. You can have awe before God one day, and the next week you're gone. That's all in the real window. It's in the past. The love God showed to him. He is not aware of it. That's why, friends, this is a story about Jacob getting stoned. The stone, this silly, weird stone is mentioned five times. No less than five times in 14 verses. Who cared about the stone? Because Jacob is a stony guy. He's a guy of stones. He has a stone at Bethel, right? He has a stone at Bethel. The stone that he sets up as a memory, a memorial to what God has done in his life. The stone of the dream. God's presence in Jacob's life. And then we have this stone right here. This stone at the well. What does this stone talk about? If the first stone speaks about God's power, the second speaks about Jacob's strength. You see, Jacob has moved from the stone of worship to the stone of his own power. Pride goes before a fall, friends. And the warning here is that Jacob will take a long time to fall because he is so, so sure of himself. He, he is not able to even see all that God's doing for him. He is not able to, to even think about it. He is prayerless because he thinks he's going so well. He thinks he's having a great week because he's just met with God at Bethel. I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. There are three applications for us, I think, as we consider these first two stones. I think especially for us, like me, whose weeks have been marked by prayerlessness. I think I can say that safely, that most all of us are less prayerful than we could be. I think three applications for us. First, if your life is going well, it's because of God's blessing. If your life is going well at all, it's because God's blessing you. Jacob may have forgotten, but God is guiding him at every single turn. It's chapter 28, verse 15. God says, behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is with him. It's God who brought Jacob all those miles east in safety. It's God who brought Jacob to that well. It's God who ordained there be people there at a weird time. It's God who ordained that those weird shepherds at a weird time would know Laban. It's God who brought Rachel at that particular moment, it's God who moved Laban. We'll find out a lot more about Laban. It's God who moved Laban to receive Jacob at home. 
It's not Jacob's cleverness. It's not Jacob's strength. It's not Jacob's power. It's not his winning smile. It's not his charisma. It's not his godliness. It's God who does this. It's God's providence. He provides the stone. It's not Jacob's initiative. The same is true of you. The same is true of you. Every moment you live is provided by God. Every breath you breathe is provided by God. Your health is God's gift to you. Your family is God's gift to you. The food you stuff down your mouth is God's gift to you. The work you have is God's gift to you. The success you have in your work is God's gift to you. Whatever happens in your life is from God's hand. You may not be thinking about God as much as you ought. I may not. But every second he thinks about you. And every second he provides you. It's James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. If your life is going well, it's because of God's blessing. Do you you thank God for that? Do you thank God for the blessing he gives? May we give him the praise he deserves. May we thank him far more than we do. May we be like Abraham's servant, the man who said, as for me, the Lord has led. God's with Jacob. If your life's going well, it's because of God's blessing. Second application, if you will. You can't assume that if your life's going well, that all is well with you and God. You can't assume that if life's going well, all's well between you and God. I mean, Jacob's prospering here. He seems to be at least. But is he actually? Is he the man he was at Bethel? Is he the man who consecrated himself again at Bethel? No, he's not. He will have 20 years of trouble. We'll see that next week. 20 years of trouble starting just next week. In fact, he is out of touch with God. Here's a man completely out of touch with God. The blessing he enjoys does not mean that he's very close to God. Let me just make a point here. It ain't God's fault that this is happening. In other words, God's very kind to Jacob. God's very generous to Jacob. Jacob's very guilty. Jacob's very guilty right here. He's leaving God out of his life. God's not out of his life. But Jacob's leaving God out of his life. It's a very common mistake, friends, that that I think you and I do. We prosper and we assume, hey, God, you're happy with me. You're pleased with me. I mean, sitting here today, would you say you're well? Would you say you're doing good? Would you say you're prospering? And there's no guarantee that your soul's at peace with God. The scriptures show us over and over again, the wicked prosper. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I saw the wicked They were sleek, they were fat, they were happy. And it was only when I went to the temple that I could discern where they were going to go. Before then, I thought they were just great. Very wicked people live very outwardly successful lives. And the Psalms also tell us that some of the best of God's saints live very hard lives. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? David cries over and over again. Does not mean that God's angry with him. Prosperity is no barometer of your relationship with God. This, by the way, is what we discussed this morning in Sunday school with Job. What was the fault of Job's miserable friends, his miserable comforters? They didn't understand this principle. I guess the question is, which stone matters in your life? Which of these two stones? The stone that God provides or the stone that you move by your own power, the powerful stone? Which stone is, is most important to you right now? Is is it the stone that you're moving with your amazing gifts and your wonderful personality and your hard work ethic? 
to impress people that you meet? Or are you obsessed by what people think of you? That's what Jacob wants. Jacob wants Rachel to be obsessed with him. That's why he waters her livestock. And you'll notice he does not water anybody else's. What did Rebecca done? She watered all the, all the animals that were there. What does Jacob do? Ah, girl, I'll impress her. That's it. Is that the stone that's, that's driving your life? Or is this stone of worship, the stone of Bethel, kneeling reverently in the presence of God? The stone at the well shows how great you are. The stone at Bethel shows how great your worship is. Which stone is it? Don't take outward prosperity as evidence that all is well with you and God. Third, and we're going to get this really towards the end of the the passage and next week. God will discipline us if he thinks we need it. God will discipline us if he thinks we need it. If we neglect him, he'll discipline us. If we aren't giving him the place in our lives that we should, he'll do something about it. Whom the Lord loves, he'll discipline. It seems like Jacob's going great. But starting next week, Jacob has some hard lessons to learn. You'll see it here, even in verse 14 with Laban. You see Laban says to him, I already read it. Surely you're my bone and my flesh. And you can read that one two ways. You can read that as Laban saying, oh, we're family. Great. Get together. Or because you know a little bit about Laban and who kind of guy he is. You can read that as saying, oh, we're family. What can I get out of you? How can I use you? What will you get me as an object? How can I get money from you? And of course, we'll see that's what what Laban is, the kind of guy he is, right? And Jacob will learn hard, hard lessons from that. And in this sense, Jacob ought to fear the discipline of his heavenly father, even though it's loving. And friends, if you rely on yourself, if you come to the stone at the well, and all you're thinking about is how can I do this in my life to impress other people? How can I do this in my life to show others that I matter? And if you neglect God, even though all seems great and rosy and peachy in your lives, he will deal with you if you dealt with Jacob. This is a warning here, friends. Don't make it necessary for God to chastise you. Some of God's people have passed through decades of very severe suffering and God was dealing with them because both blessing and hardship come from God's wise hands. But notice that God will bring Jacob back. That's the promise of Bethel. Verse 15 again, Jesus 28, I will keep you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you. That though there is this hardship, though there is this pain, though there is this discipline, that ultimately God will bring Jacob back. And you say, well, that's great for Jacob. What about me? That's cool that Jacob gets that promise. I don't have Bethel. What's up with that? Well, we have to look at the third stone. You know, Jacob had a third stone in his life. The stone of stumbling. Jacob will find that he stumbles over a third stone. You find the stone, of course, centuries later in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. We're told that after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, tomb of Christ. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The third stone, friends. The stone of Easter Sunday, the stone that threw it away. You see, <clears throat> Jacob had seen an angel descending at Bethel. 
he had moved the stone away himself at Haran. But what he needed was a third stone. What he needed to see was the angel of the Lord coming and removing and rolling the stone away so that not, not water, but the one who makes your heart a river of living water, Jesus Christ himself, might rise from the grave. Just like Jacob's well, the stone of the tomb would take several men to move. That's why the Romans said that, well, the, the, the Jews must have done it. The Jews said the disciples must have done it. It would take multiple men to move. But it's the stone, friends, the stone of Christ, the stone of Easter Sunday, the stone of the empty tomb that shows you and that shows Jacob that God will bring you back. God will bring you back. That God's ways are not our own. Jesus does not display his strength just to impress you like some hot girl. His strength is deployed and displayed for his goodness and grace shown to you. Because when Jesus Christ acts, when the stone is rolled away, Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. The rolling away of the stone at the tomb is to show his future bride. He is trying to impress you with his glory and to show you his grace. And the question is, friends, are you convinced? Are you in love with Jesus Christ? He rolls away the stone that you might see he has the power to free you from death, to bless you with more than just a good life. And for those who haven't prayed enough this week, for those like Jacob who are prayerless people, who are marked by prayerlessness, I think that covers most all of us. Look to heaven. And see that because the stone has been rolled away, that Jesus Christ is now reigning in heaven and he is never stopping his prayer for you. Do you see that he always prays for you? He remembers you when you forget him. He prays for you when you don't even think of him and you're prospering and you're having a great time. And you have no idea all that he's doing in your life. He ever lives to intercede. Jesus, the Jacob we need. Jesus, the groom we need. But to see him, you have to see your stumbling. Do you stumble over the stone? Or are you like Jacob, trying just to roll the stones away in your own power? Are you trying just to be prosperous in your own way? Are you having your own aims? Are you happy to ignore God and say, get out of my life until there's a problem? Are you prayerless? Look to Christ, the conqueror who rolls away the stone. And love him. Let's pray. Father, we do once more come to you. We thank you that in our life you have <clears throat> rolled away the stone of our reproach. That, Father, you have showed us that you are with us always, that you bring us back, even from the grave itself. And that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, help us this week as we go about our days to not ignore you, sideline you, forget you, but to love you more. To keep close accounts with you, to pray to you, to know that Christ, our great groom, weds us and loves us. We pray this in his name. Amen.